The only question that I have is how you get your kids to help uh, clean up. We've always felt that simpler is better and we're, we've worked really hard to declutter and simplify. But with that, there's something that I just totally didn't expect. I feel a little bit guilty. I find myself not being able to say no to that free pen, free hand sanitizer, free new shopping bag. Welcome to the Minimal Mom Podcast, where simplicity meets inspiration on your journey to a clutter-free and intentional life. Join us each week as we dive into practical tips, real-life stories, and expert interviews to guide you through the art of decluttering, intentional living, and finding joy in the simple moments. Whether you're a seasoned minimalist or just starting your journey, we're here to help you create a life with less stuff and more meaning. Let's declutter our homes, minds, and lives together. This is the Minimal Mom Podcast. Hi, Dawn. I want to tell you how you have changed my life. I ran across your YouTube channel about probably six months ago and related to the my stuff is screaming at me and the silent to-do list. I have been frantic for the last 20 years, you know, doing business with my husband and now homeschooling and running a side business. My house looks fairly decent to most people coming in, but in every corner is something yelling at me. I just feel like it's driving me nuts. There's so much to do. I can't get to it. And um, when I realized, oh, I just took all your advice and I started getting rid of things. I'm not a minimalist and that is probably not my goal really. Although I could get there, I think if my family would let me... (laughs) But I have had the most fun getting rid of everything I can get my hands on in this house and trunk loads of stuff going out the door. I'm feeling like I can do things right for the first time in my life and I'm still working on it. I was getting relaxed and feeling better about things and then I got frantic again and I realized I need to do more. So this last week I've been loading up the boxes again every day. It feels so good. It is so therapeutic. Thank you for teaching me how and giving me the courage to get rid of my stuff. My daughter is six and she's obsessed as well, just getting rid of things. It's great. Thank you so much. Keep putting on videos of decluttering. I love it. Thank you, Dawn. Love you too. Well, today I'm excited to answer your questions. That wasn't necessarily a question, but I thought what she hit on was so important because I had actually been feeling this in our own house this fall. I think it's important to realize that even if we we start to get our home to a point where we've definitely simplified, it's easier to keep picked up and keep tidy. The stuff behind closed doors, under the bed, in the closets, on the shelves that you can't always see, it is still on our silent to-do list and it is still there. In fact, there was still like our spare bedroom was still, I could not get it figured out and how to not have like some extra food storage on the floor and just some random things still floating around. There was some stuff that had accumulated under our bed that I just didn't want there anymore. So even over the last few weeks, I have been making uh, another pass through our house deeper adding in a little more organization. So I'm going to be, I'm going to look forward to sharing that with you coming up. Um, What we've uh, just a couple changes we've made, but that have made really big differences. And so I think this is such great encouragement that if your house still feels stressful, if you feel like, oh, it's just never done, nothing's ever done. There's an element where as a mom, 
things just aren't always done. But there's a difference between it feeling angsty, like, but I need some dedicated time to go through this stuff. And it just being like, that's just life. Like laundry is technically never done, right? I heard a thing recently said that the hardest thing about being a mom is that you're a mom every single day. We don't ever actually get a day off. And even if we get, you know, a weekend away with girlfriends or something else, you're still a mom while you're gone, right? And I know not everyone who listens is moms, but I think this applies actually to women globally. You still have like so much of the household responsibilities and you just have different things pulling at you than others might. And that's okay. But as we become aware of these areas in our home where we're like, yes, I have decluttered, I have simplified this by other people's standards, whether it's my husband or if someone just stopped by unexpectedly, yes, it looks better. It definitely feels better. I could have company over and it still doesn't always feel good. And so being really realistic about how much time do I have, will I ever actually get to using those items or would it just feel so much better if I let those things go? I love that your six-year-old is getting involved too. I just truly believe that kids are minimalists at heart and they just thrive in highly simplified environments. And so I'm so glad that you are bringing your kids along for the journey to, you know, we just live in such a noisy and chaotic world. And so having our home be a really peaceful place to come home to, I just think it's never been more important. So you're doing a great job. Um, and then the other thing I would throw in is that for anyone who's listening that is like, yes, I know, I want that, but when will I find the time? I don't get a lot of help in this area. I can't just stop doing other things to do this. Please remember that five, 10, 15 minutes matters. If you will spend five minutes in that catch-all space or that spare bedroom that tends to accumulate things, even five minutes, makes it so that we're re-familiarized with what's in there. We can start to formulate a game plan. Our brain works on it then when we're not even in there, which is really fascinating. It comes up with solutions. It starts to think through, do we actually really need this stuff? Where would I donate it? Who would I offer it to? And so never underestimate the power of five, 10, and 15 minutes, these little pockets of time that we have throughout the day. Just go in, work for a few minutes, you're going to feel better. You're going to feel more motivated and you're going to start to see some big differences in your house. Hi, Dawn. Thank you so much for all of your great energy and your ideas and encouragement. I've been watching your videos now for a couple of years and I usually turn them on when I'm cleaning and they've made a great difference. I especially appreciate the push to go a little farther with decluttering than we think we need to. Um, the only question that I have is how you get your kids to help so that you can maintain a clean house. I've seen them help in your videos and I think that's awesome. So I was just wondering if you have a rotating job chart or if each kid just has a regular chore that they're assigned to. I know you yourself don't have a regular cleaning routine that you recommend you do as needed basis. Uh, but if you have any insight for other parents, I would love to hear it. Thanks so much. I love this question. And it's so common too. I've actually been thinking a lot about creating my own cleaning, not so much system, but you know how Cass has the different organizing types. I feel like there's different cleaning types and we champion in our culture, we champion the routine and the checklist and the system, you know, that systemizes it for us. And then it's supposed to just practically do itself, right? Because we just get into this routine and it's, or uh, what's the other word? Rhythm, you know, that we use, right? 
And so I'm like, I think we might need to have like different cleaning styles, like intuitive or as needed or, or have a rhythm, you know, whatever actually works for you. But anyways, I digress. This is a great question. Here's probably the mindset shift that I would encourage parents to make around this. And then I'll, I'll discuss the tactical ways we go about it. So I grew up on a farm um, in Minnesota, just outside of the Twin Cities. My dad was a, my dad grew up on a farm, long heritage of farmers and his family. My mom was a city girl. And so it was this, you know, interesting blend. And she talks about they milked cows when, when my mom uh, first met my dad and, and she was pregnant with us. And so she said she would help uh, in the barn and with the cows until she was so pregnant with Diana and I that she couldn't fit through the gate <laughs> to get into, to where the cars were, cows were. And then that's when she threw in the towel. Um, so she was not afraid to get her hands dirty to help. Both my parents worked full time while we were growing up as well. But there's two things that they did so well. And I was like, okay, if I only get two things right as a parent, if I can do these things, uh, I really think it contributed to the self-confidence that I have today um, and who I am today. And so those two things were that I felt needed and I felt loved. They, my brother and I were just talking about this the other day that there was never a day in our childhood where we ever doubted if our parents loved us and loved us in unconditionally. And no matter what silly, dumb thing we did, that it would never change that. And it was actually uh, very eye-opening to me as I got older and realized that not all kids grew up with that experience. I just thought innately parents loved their kids. They expressed it. They showed it. Uh, they understood that as kids were imperfect, we understood as kids that our parents were imperfect, but we were all doing the best we could. And at the end of the day, no matter what, there was love that we could all fall back on. When there was no money, the house was chaotic. It didn't matter. We had each other. We loved each other and we would live to fight another day, right? Something else I tell our kids now too, um, that I felt like uh, I might be adding in a third thing, but I always tell them, I love you and I really like you too. Uh, I think I always felt like our parents, not only did they love us, it kind of feels like, well, yeah, you have to love your kids, but it actually felt like they liked us too. And I know like some of us might be thinking like, well, I might not be able to authentically say that to my kids right now. They really know how to push my buttons or we're in a, a challenging season. I would encourage you to keep simplifying and decluttering your house and just keep looking for the positive. And I, I trust that will seasons shift and change too, right? But the other thing they did so well is that I always felt needed. And I mean, growing up on a farm, again, with my parents working full time, it was just all hands on deck. If there was something that needed to be done, then it, it's like it was a team problem to solve. It wasn't, it didn't just fall on my parents. Now, of course, certain things did. And and I know they shouldered way more stress and, and responsibility than we even realized. But when dinner had to be made, when my mom had to go on uh, kidney dialysis when we were in high school, it was just a given that, of course, Diane and I would make dinner, you know, in the evenings and and just do whatever had to be done. Um, that when the cows got out, you know, it was just like, everybody get your shoes on, let's go. You know, it just like wasn't even a question. And so I, what I know now as I've, you know, studied humans and, and families and everything is that that is one of our like most innate needs is to know that we we have a role that we're needed that we're part of something and that foundation is really created in in our in our families growing up and I, and I use family in the widest broadest sense it doesn't have to always look typical or traditional but in a household where 
kids are needed. And yes, could my mom have done it all on her own? Could my dad have? Yes, they're they're very like competent people. They're hardworking and very qualified to do anything. But they didn't take that away from us. And they said, hey, we need you. Like this family and this household and this farm runs so much better when everybody's doing it. And not only that, it's more enjoyable when we do it together. When any one person ends up doing too much, that doesn't feel good. They feel martyred. They feel taken advantage of. But when we all do it together, um, there's something magical that happens. And we still have a blend of personalities. Like there's still, I mean, every Saturday morning was cleaning time in our house. And there was always one person that looks similar to me that would disappear first to like go upstairs and play, you know, just kind of sneak out, right? And so, yes, we're going to have to like figure out the dynamics and there's unique challenges to all of our families. But every Saturday morning, we were all getting the house pulled back together. Uh, we put music on, we'd all tackle it together. And that feels so much better than if my mom would have had to been doing that on her own or when she was sick saying like, okay, well, I have to be the one to cook dinner. I'm so glad that she didn't take that away from us. I grew up feeling needed, like I had a valuable place in our family and I gained confidence in myself. Like I knew how to cook and clean and to uh, feed calves and to wash pig barns and to put together uh, feeders. And I mean, all these things to, I mean, we learned how to drive at such young ages, you know, four wheelers and stuff. But I grew up then with this confidence of like, oh yeah, like if there's something that comes up, I may not know how to do it right now, but we'll figure it out. And it was okay to make mistakes. And so um, it wasn't until we got maybe into high school and I saw some of our friends, I'm like, well, your mom does everything. Like we would go to their homes and I'm like, like she just cooked the whole dinner and then she cleaned up the whole kitchen and now she's folding all the laundry. Like what is going on here? And it, it was not, cause I know my mom will sometimes apologize apologize to us and say, you had to do too much. I didn't look at them with envy. I was just kind of like, that is odd. Like why, why is the mom doing everything and you're just sitting around watching TV, <laughs> right? Like it was just, it was very strange <laughs> to me. So I think the key mindset shift is to realize that our kids need to feel needed. They need to have a role in our family, and it's going to instill a lot of self-confidence in them if they grow up knowing how to do these things. It's not even about the cleaning skills. It's about the confidence to know that they can do things. They can be trusted with things. I remember when my dad would trust me with to do things, and I was like, wow, I'm only eight, and you're you're asking me to do this. Like, wow, that is that means so much to me that you trust me with this. And so then practically, what does that look like? Well, a lot of times as parents, the reason we don't involve our kids is because it's hard and they make a bigger mess when they clean. I could do it faster myself. They grumble. Our house feels overwhelming already. It doesn't seem fair to make them um, have to just enter into the chaos too. And so I would recommend that you keep working to simplify and declutter your home. As you get your house simplified, it's so much easier for kids to help. No one has to feel so overwhelmed by it. And it's just easier for them to put stuff away and to help with tasks and to, to get into the fold of it all. And then tactically, practically, how we execute this in our home, um, it's changed over the years. When our kids were really little, I like to call it party cleaning, where we would all just go into a room and we'd do it together. And I knew they needed oversight and guidance and I'd be 
Like, you know, I'd be very directive. You put this away, take this up to your room. This goes in here. And then over time, it evolved to each of the kids having their own area that they would be in charge of. And then once they had their own areas, then we kind of rotated around until we got just the right fit for each person's area. So currently how it looks, Adeline's 14, she's in charge of the kitchen. Um, We do have like a rule-ish that whoever cooks doesn't have to clean. So if she cooks, then Tom or I will clean up. If I cook, then she'll clean up. If Tom cooks, then either, you know, then usually Adeline cleans up. It's it's the most labor intensive of the four spots I'm going to talk about, but she also gets the most privileges. So we talk about that often. She's good with it. Like she doesn't feel martyred. She actually enjoys helping in the kitchen a lot, and she likes cooking and baking. So it's a great fit, and it works. Does not mean that it's not without grumbling. Or there's days where like you you have to load the dishwasher before we go to youth group, right? Um, But mostly you know, 80% of the time it works really well and it goes well. Then Maggie, uh, she's 12, but she's in charge of all of our family's laundry. And again, this works for us right now in the season we're in. Some families, each person does their own laundry. Like I'm not suggesting you change your laundry system to fit this, but for us, it works. So everyone is in charge of getting their laundry to the laundry room. And then Maggie takes it from there to wash it, fold it, put it away. Well, what we do fold, (laughs) you know, and sometimes she asks the other kids to take their clothes up and put them away. Sometimes she'll take them up and put them on their bed. Um, It just kind of depends on the day and how much laundry there is. And then Corbin, he's 10, almost 11. He's in charge of the entryway. So he picks up everyone's shoes and coats and then also the living room and then the floor in the desk area and by our, our homeschool stuff. So he's in charge of cleaning all of that up, putting stuff away. Yes, this means that he's putting other people's stuff away all the time. Shoes, coats, boots, um, stuff in the living room that people have been playing with. We kind of have a rule if anyone makes too big of a mess and doesn't clean it up. So like if Gage is in the living room making a craft project and he cuts up lots of little pieces of paper, then it's fair for Corbin. He comes to me and says, hey, is it okay if Gage picks that stuff up? And I say, yes, Gage, you made a huge mess. Go clean it up. That's not fair for Corbin to have to clean that up. And then for Gage, he's in charge of the bathrooms. So he tidies them up put stuff away, gets all the laundry in there to the laundry room. And so for now, that's working really well. We've probably had this same rotation for over a year now. And if we get to a point where it's not working, it seems unfair. People want to do their own laundry. Maggie's shrinking everything. You know what? <laughs> you know, We've had to work out some systems like blacks are in here. Like ask me before you put them in the dryer, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but mostly it works well. And we kind of pair when everybody goes and does their spaces with dinner time. So when we're in the kitchen getting ready for dinner, it's like, hey, everybody go to your spaces and and pick up. If we're not home for dinner, then usually it's before bedtime or before we go, preferably before we go if we think of it, but um, sometime before evening. Does it happen every single day? No. But because we have the inventory so low and we do do it so consistently, it's not that big a deal. When you start staying on top of your house every day, you know, it's a load of laundry a day. It's running the dishwasher one time. It's a couple things in the bathrooms to pick up. It's a few pairs of shoes to put away. And so none of our kids feel overwhelmed. Most of the tasks can be done in five to 10 minutes and it's really not that big a deal. So you do it consistently, you get the inventory pared down and then it becomes much easier to involve our kids in this. Hi, Don. My name is Liz. I am a stay-at-home mom to six kids ages two through 11. We've always felt that simpler is better and we're, we've worked really hard to declutter and simplify and I feel that we're nearing a maintenance mode for us and it feels so good and I just I want to tell everybody I want to tell them how great it is and how freeing it is but with that there's something that I just totally didn't expect I 
feel a little bit guilty. I didn't expect to feel that at all because when I'm at home, it feels good and I feel empowered and free and it feels great. When I talk to other people about it that just don't feel like they can ever get there, they're kind of like, good for you, but that'll never be me. So my question is, if it's just if you ever experienced that, if you ever felt you were kind of alone in it and the other people just looked at you like, well, good for you, you know, but I can never get there. And if you have any advice about how to move through that feeling and how to be an encouragement to others rather than feel like I'm bragging or boastful or that I'm better than them or something. I love this question so much. I feel this way all the time. Um, I feel so fortunate that I found minimalism when I did. I know many moms listening are always like, I wish that I had known about this when my kids were little. So yes, I 1000% resonate with everything that you're saying. And I think what can be helpful, because I don't think you should feel guilty. I think you've done a lot of hard work. You found value in something. You were willing to test it out. You were willing to go through the discomfort of making mistakes, of potentially getting rid of something you couldn't, you know, you could have used. And so you were willing to do something that a lot of people aren't. And so I think what's helpful is just to understand what to what extent can you help others and encourage them? And at what point is it like, well, when you're ready to take the next step, like I'll be here to support you. And so I think it's awesome if you can say, hey, if you're having difficulty getting started, I would love to body double with you. I don't, you probably haven't heard of this thing. It's called body doubling, but it's a really helpful way. We could just do it over FaceTime for 15 minutes. You don't have to have big sets of time. I've found that, you know, just using five minute chunks of time can help. If you want me to, like, if you ever want me to help you or even come home over for an hour or so, I would absolutely be willing to do that. Probably four out of five times, they're not going to take you up on it, but you know for your own peace of mind that you've offered. You can share videos, my videos, other people's videos, resources that you find um, helpful. You can say, oh, wow, this is a new video I just watched and it just, I don't know, it really resonated with me. Or I know you said you've been struggling with a kid's bedroom and, and that's what she talks about. So you can share resources. And then ultimately, I think though we do have to recognize that it's a pretty personal process that people find when the timing is right for them. So like many changes that we want to make in life, you know, there's lots of people that would like to lose weight, but it's just easier to grumble about it than to now start changing how I eat and to, to learn some new ways to move my body and all of that, right? And I'm not getting down on anyone right now. These all take a ton of bandwidth, a ton of emotional and mental energy. And so you really do have to be in a place where you have the extra mental capacity to dedicate to it, to learn the new things, to be willing to make mistakes, to try it out, to set aside the time. I really do wanna encourage you though, you don't have to feel guilty. You can be there to support them, you can encourage them, you can say things like, hey, when the time's right for you, I would love to help you. If you ever wanna learn about these resources I found, I'll be happy to send them to you. And then from there, it's like, okay, I have, my hands are open, like I'm giving you what I can, what I have, what's been helpful for me. And now I'm just gonna step back and I'm gonna wait. And if the time, if it comes around, you want my help, great. If not, then I've done my part and I really can enjoy <laughs> this lifestyle. I know I was uh, visiting, um, I got to do an interview podcast with uh, Zoe Kim from um, Raising Simple and her book is uh, Minimalism for Families. And she actually said on it, I just look at all these other moms and I'm like, I don't know how you do it with not simplifying your house. Like 
it, like I, the only way I get by now is with my house simplified. And that's how I feel, especially with the ages of our kids right now. I'm like, I would be drowning right now if our house wasn't so highly simplified. Like I can relax at the end of the day. And I know for most moms, that's not a reality. And so I do, I look at other moms and I'm like, I want this so badly for you. And at some point they're going to have to make the decisions for themselves. And so we just keep sharing and, and sharing different ideas and sharing resources and anything we can do. And, um, and then when the time's right, it'll be there. It'll be there for them too. And how cool, <laughs> how cool will that be? Hi, my name is Angie and I live in Wisconsin. I find myself not being able to say no to that free pen, free hand sanitizer, free new shopping bag. I eventually throw it out or donate it, but it's just a habit I just can't seem to break. If you got any tips with that, that'd be awesome. I love this question, Angie, because I think so many can relate to it. You know, growing up, like you took all the free stuff, right? And a lot of times the free stuff was helpful. It was useful. We used it. And many of us have had the experience now where the free stuff, and I mean, honestly, growing up, some of it, a lot of it wasn't either, right? Like it'd be super fun. Sometimes my dad would go to like a trade show for his job and, um, or they were, my parents raised pigs and they would have, they put on these big like conventions for all the growers for, you know, and it was kind of fun. Some of the things they would come home with, right? And it was just, it was fun. Um, and now we're all drowning in inventory and we don't, most of us don't need any of that stuff, but it can be a hard habit to kick. And so I had heard this quote one time that said, to take more than we need is greed. And so that has always stuck with me when I see things on clearance, you know, school supplies in, in September, and I'm like, oh, I should stock up. Oh, I should take more of this. And I think in my head, I'm like, to take more than we need is greed. And in the past, I used to think that was because like, well, we should leave it for someone else who can actually use it. But now I realize that, there's two sides to it. It's also when we bring stuff into our home that we don't need, it is, it's just inventory that we have to manage, like you said. And then later on down the road, we end up having to get rid of it. And to just also think through, uh, even, I mean, just this past fall when I was at Walmart and all the, the, school supplies were on clearance. And I'm like, well, you know, we homeschool, like, you know, some of this stuff could be useful. The kids go through a lot of markers and actually now they even don't, but they used to go through a lot of markers. So it's still like programmed in me, grab markers if you see markers on clearance, you know? And so as I was about to reach for the markers, I was like, okay, think through what happened last year when you stocked up on the school supplies. They went in, they'd never even made it out of the Walmart plastic bag. They ended up in the basement. I forgot about them never used them at the new school year, found them again later on. And I'm like, wow, that was a waste. Never even used those. And then I, I had to like rack my brain and think, where would I even store these? I don't have a spot for extra school supplies. And I'm like, okay, I'll make a spot in the closet upstairs. Okay, I'm going to move them up there. And then I go to clean that closet earlier, like this uh, summer, you know, and then I'm like, oh my goodness, there are those dumb school supplies again that I just thought we needed and they were inexpensive. And so I took them. And so I, I'm replaying this in my mind when I'm standing there in Walmart in front of it. And it made it a lot easier to let this stuff go then. So if we can, in the instance when we're being confronted with these free things, just think Think through like, okay, well, what happened last time when I brought this stuff home? What, you know, do I imagine that I am going to use this in the next week when it comes into our home? Or am I simply just taking it because it's free? And I was hardwired from a young age that anything that's free, we take it, <laughs> right? So again, 
not wrong. Like most of us, it's it just in our brains, it's wasteful if we don't take it. So we just keep working and we have patience with ourselves. And over time though, I think you'll get much better <laughs> at this. I would love to hear about how to continue decluttering through the layers of the onion, as you like to say. I've gotten through the trash. I've gotten through the easy stuff, the donations, but I still don't feel like I'm where I need to be. I'm not at the center of my onion. I'm stuck and I'm not sure where to go from here. So we like to think of decluttering like layers of an onion. It's very common that when you start the process, you'll kind of make a pass through your whole house and then you're like, ooh, that feels good. And they're like, but there's so much more. <laughs> and then we make, make another pass through and we're like, wow, this feels awesome. And then your brain like adjusts and you're like, oh no, I still need to go farther. There's many more layers to the onion, I think, than any of us would like to admit, but it's okay. Um, and it's a it's a more gentle process for getting rid of our stuff and it helps us to gain confidence. So in a perfect world, we would all just set aside a week and we'd rent dumpsters and get trucks to the, go to the donation center and we'd just do our whole house in a week and it would be done and then we could just move on with life. But I do think there's a lot of value in taking the time to go through these layers because not only do we gain confidence in the decisions we're making, we're like, yeah, I got rid of that stuff and I didn't miss it. Okay, I can get rid of mo more stuff because I trust I'm not going to miss it. So there's value in that as we gain confidence in ourselves. And the second benefit of the onion method is that the skills we use to declutter are kind of like this gross feeling of being confronted with our over-consumerism is what keeps it from happening again. Because often often people will say, well, I've got rid of all this stuff. I'm worried I'm just gonna fill my house up again. But if you have personally gone through the process of decluttering your whole house, then you are probably pretty thoroughly disgusted with marketing and consumerism and bringing stuff in that was supposed to make our lives so much easier and now it's just clutter. The money we've wasted, the stress it caused, the time we've had to spend now on this process that we could have been using for other things, and you've got a taste now of how good it is going to feel to live in a highly simplified house. I often, I know this isn't a great analogy, but I think of like, I think one of the old school techniques to get kids not to smoke was to like have them just smoke tons of cigarettes till they got sick and then they wouldn't do it anymore. And it's, it's kind of a gross lot, but I sometimes feel like that with decluttering, like feel the pain feel the disgust with yourself. Like, why did I do that? Don't be too hard on yourself though. We all do it. And like marketing is, ugh, they put so much money into it to get us to buy it. So you're not wrong. Everybody's clutter pretty much looks the same, but it's okay. Feel the pain of like, that was money I spent that I could have used elsewhere. Wow, it'd be so much better to have the money back and not this item. Man, I'm so tired of spending Saturday mornings going through all of this stuff. It's okay. Feel the discomfort of that, the pain of it, because that truly is what makes it so that we maintain minimalism in our homes. Now, when we're looking at though, okay, I got a couple layers in and I'm I'm experiencing some of the benefits, I'm gaining confidence in myself, but huh, all of the next layer of stuff is just perfectly good things that maybe I could use in the future. That's kind of like the middle layers of the onion is this just like, but what if? but what if I need it someday? These just in case items. And those are difficult. Um, at the near core, I would put sentimental stuff, but it's these layers in the middle of perfectly good things. And again, kind of like I said in the last question, we have been raised not to be wasteful, not to get rid of perfectly good things. Like that honestly just seems foolish to our brain. Our brain is designed to hoard in times of plenty so that we have enough in times of scarcity. And also during this same time, 
often were grieving things that I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to make scrapbooks for all of my grandkids. I thought I was going to finish these quilts. I had great intentions to to archive and, you know, all the family photos and to get them in a way I could share with everybody. Um, I was going to refinish furniture. I mean, all these different things that we thought we were going to do and to now realize I don't have the capacity, the energy, the time, the ability to do these things. And now I'm letting go of these perfectly good things. Even just last night, my mom texted me and she's like, I'm going to need your help and reminder that I can get rid of these craft supplies and stamping things that I'm not using. And I I don't have to donate them to the perfect place. (laughs) And I was like, you came to the right gal, (laughs) right? And so sometimes to get through these more trickier layers, we need the support of others. So hopefully you find our resources online. I love to offer as much for free as physically possible. If you can get your house decluttered with all of the free stuff that we put out there, please do. And sometimes we need the support of others. And so um, our mentorship group is open right now. And this whole month, like we are deep diving into kitchens and storage spaces and a couple other areas, but those are the main ones that people like storage spaces was huge for people. Um, so we're deep diving into that. We're sharing our best, best tactics, but we're supporting each other. We're body doubling. Even just last week, we did a, a full session in storage spaces of just working together, answering questions, encouraging one another. I'm really sorry you spent money on that. That stinks that you have all the stuff to go camping and you're not going camping that for these hobbies. Um, and when we stick together, uh, Matt Paxton will talk about needing to tell the stories and we tell stories and we empathize with each other and we just get it off our chest. Like I bought all this quilting stuff and I am not going to do it. And someone else in the group will be like, yep, been there, done that. But it's okay to let it go because you will not believe the thousand pound weight that was lifted off my shoulders when I finally did. I don't have to look at it and feel guilty anymore. So there is an aspect where sometimes we have to invite others into this process with us. And I believe you could muscle through it on your own, but why not do it quicker with the support of others? You know, this is this is what I do, right? And in the group, I'm active in there every single day. May I help you? May I please help expedite this process? Because whether you're an empty nester and you're a little bit more towards retirement, or you're like the moms we've been hearing from that have six kids or, you know, two kids, one kid, but you're just feel overwhelmed most of the time, then like, could we please help expedite this process for you? So I'll put details for that down below. I'm also excited. Um, you know, we've been doing this group for four years now, and I really feel like I'm finding my stride with it, knowing what helps the most and what doesn't. So we do a lot of body doubling, a lot of appointments, times, on the calendar when we meet together. Um, so you know there's other people there uh, to spend the time with. But then also in February, we're kicking off our camps. So we're doing some more extended times together of going through photos. So um, February is physical photo camp. March is digital photo camp. And then uh, also in March, we're talking about paper clutter. And so we have a, a tax person who is like, she's going to come on and she's going to tell us exactly what we need to keep and for how long. I'm so excited about that. So that's all going to take place within the safety and the community of our mentorship group. I want to invite you into the community to so we can all do it together because I just think there's so much power in that and I've just seen it firsthand. So I will stop going on and on about that. I love this group so much. They are the wind in my sail. Uh, they encourage me. They inspire me. They help me understand what are the obstacles that hang you know everyone up and then we work together to problem solve them and to find the best resources. And so it has been, it's been really cool and I'm really proud. And it's only $15 a month. I really work to keep it reasonable. If you you will get 
$15 worth of value in one live session, <laughs> I believe, but I want it to be accessible for everyone. You can cancel anytime. There's no contract. You know, we don't twist your arm into staying into it. Uh, you literally could come in for a month or just join us for a photo camp and then you're like, peace out. You know, it's totally fine. Use it however you need to. Um, I'm just here to support you. And then for those who are, you're kind of like, okay, I, I've, I've got through the main layers and now like, I really want to go further. I've been seeing some comments lately of people that are like, okay, it's, I'm, I'm almost there. Like, how do I get through those last couple layers of the onion? And so in the beginning, my question with the beginning level layers of the onion was, have I used this in the past year or do I know for sure that I'm going to use it in the coming year? And if I didn't, if I wasn't, I didn't know for sure I was going to use it coming up, then I was willing to let those things go. And that got our house pretty far, but still there are days where I'm like, huh, it's just still feeling like a little much to keep up on. Like I wanted every room in our house, I wanted to be able to tidy it and pull it back together in five minutes or less, a little bit longer for the kitchen. And so I'm like, there's still some things that just are getting in the way of that. And so then my next question became, but could I live without it? And that's how I went, I think, to like the core of the onion, right? Uh, that's how I went to get to where we are today. But could I live without this? And what's so cool about that is you realize that you are a very creative being. And it's kind of like, well, what would my grandma have done if she didn't have this gadget or gizmo or thing? And it's like, she would have used a knife. Uh, she would have used this. You know, what even just the other day, well, we were camping and I cut up a watermelon and I'm like, wow, I did not bring a bowl big enough with for a whole cut watermelon, but I had a pot. So I put it in the pot, like who cares, right? And we just realized we're like, oh, I can very easily think of other ways like to do things or to use in place of things. And we haven't had to do that because we're so used to just getting the thing for each specific thing that we do. So your creativity comes alive and you become okay with the discomfort of once in a while not having the exact thing you wanted for this task. And you're like, meh. It's okay because living in a highly simplified house, having to manage so low inventory, the benefits of that are so much greater than trying to store every single thing for just in case that I'm willing to live with a little discomfort. In fact, discomfort's kind of good for us, right? <laughs> so I'm willing to live with that because the benefits are so good. Hi, Dawn. Uh, my name is Teresa. And the question that I, first of all, I want to say I love listening to you. <laughs> But the question I have for you is, um, and perhaps you've addressed it in some podcasts that I just haven't found yet, but what do you do with real sentimental like heirlooms, things that have been passed down for generations, like 100 years old, that are in your family that you treasure and even have been willed to your family, but your um, children and no one in the family wants them past you. So that's the question. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is a tough question. I saved it for last because this one's hard. You know, I think it's so important to remember the past. I, I mean, one of my favorite memories growing up as a child was going to my grandparents' house. Uh, we didn't do this often, but I just specifically remember one time going and they had their slide projector up and they went through the slides and they showed pictures. And, you know, earlier I talked about how important it is for kids to have a role and to feel like a valuable member of a household. It's also important for us to know where we came from, right? To to remember uh, the past and our grandparents and great-grandparents and those who got us to where we are today. And the best way to do that isn't always through these big physical artifacts either. And so it's very, these are very difficult things to grapple with. 
it, what if my kids and, and their kids don't want these things? And so a book that we're just getting into that I would, we're also going to go through this in our mentorship group in February is by Matt Paxton called Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff. Um, and so he talks all about sharing the stories of it. You know, many uh, younger people don't want the actual thing, but they would love to hear the story of it. And so Matt has, um, there is something you can subscribe to called Artifact that helps you to record the stories and archive them and, you know, keep them in a neat way to be able to share with everyone. But you can also just do this by sharing, a, you know, taking a video on your cell phone. I mean, we have these incredible archiving tools right here with us. We want to use it carefully. We don't want to uh, archive every single memory and thing. But if you're looking at these artifacts, you're like, this was a really important part of our family history. Then how can you capture the story without having to keep the actual item? And then from there, once you've decided, okay, I've I've offered this thing to everyone in our family, nobody wants it, then you decide next, okay, do I still want to keep this item? Is it so important that I want to keep it in my home, I want to continue to maintain it and have it until I'm no longer here? Or do I feel like I've done my due diligence with it now and I'm ready to part with it because I have archive the story. And so now at this point, I might sell it. I might donate it. I might look for if it's, I mean, if it's something truly a treasure, you might look for a museum to donate it to. But what's my next step with this item? And so again, I, I think uh, Matt Paxton's book, I highly recommend it. It's going to give you some really great ideas. Um, this book, Let It Go by Peter Walsh, also highly recommend um, just to kind of have a game plan for these things. But I think the big thing is how do I keep the memories without the physical item? offer it to anyone in your family who might want it. And then from there, ultimately, you do have permission to decide if you're going to keep it and continue to store it and maintain it, or if now you're ready to pass it, it on and to be done with that. Something else I think of often, because I'm kind of thinking of like big, like super cool heirloom things, but even there's just so many little things that get passed on. And so something that I realized, and I know I've shared this example, but I have I have two things, well, I have a few things in my grandma Adeline, but two things come to mind. Uh, the red tablecloth that was on her table every Christmas. And I, I distinctly remember, like even as I'm saying that now, I'm imagining her dining room table with the red tablecloth on it. I loved it. it. It brings up happy memories. I'm so, I love putting it on our table. Some people mentioned like, you didn't put the red tablecloth on this Christmas. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't. Um, we didn't entertain at our house or have anyone over, so I never put it on. But anyways, and so the red tablecloth, I love it. It is firsthand sentimental because I remember it being on the table. It hasn't been passed down and passed down down to the point where I don't remember the person. I don't ever remember it being used. So many of these sentimental things, when we look at it, it, it means nothing except for the fact that someone told us it was special. So I also have these glass bowls that my mom did decided she didn't want anymore. And she was like, it was a two bowl set. And she was like, hey, these were your grandma Adeline's. Would you like these? And at the time I was like, yeah, I could probably use another serving bowl or two. And I might just swap out a couple that I have. They seem nice and they were a nice size. And I got them home and then I decided like, I don't ever use them. They were just sitting in the top shelf of our cabinet. I never use them. And I'm like, but I can't declutter these. I can't donate them because they were my grandma Adeline's. I have no memories. I'm like, why though do I feel no sentimental attachment to this? I have no memories. I could not, if you lined up a bunch of bowls and said, Dawn, pick out your grandma Adeline's bowls, I'd have been like, I have, I have no idea. 
Like I could not tell you which ones were hers and which one were not. Um, and they're certainly not so cool and so special. Like they're just clear glass bowls um, that I would want to keep them just because I enjoy them and they like spark joy <laughs> when I look at them. And so I realized that it was actually okay for me to let the bowls go because they were secondhand sentimental. I They don't bring up happy memories. Um, I, like even if I went to pass them down to my kids, like why, right? <laughs> Again, you could have told me they were anybody's bowls and I've been like, oh, okay, um, because I have no memories of them. So let's let a lot of the secondhand sentimental stuff go, um, especially for those who are listening who it's just, it's pretty meaningless stuff. But again, most of us were raised and brought up to believe if it was somebody else's, then it's special, especially if that person is no longer living. But when we really start to look at it, and I really like how uh, Peter Walsh kind of you know says to look for the treasures. We think everything is special that was left from my grandma Adeline, but it's not. It's not all equally special. Um, so we pick out the true treasure treasures, the things we have firsthand memories of, the things that bring up happy memories. Um, even yesterday, I got to do a live with Jenny from Channel Mom, and she held up this little uh, decoration. It was like a moon thing that she said hung on the bedroom wall in her kids' nurseries when they were babies. When she brought it up, I said, does that bring up happy memories or sad memories? And she says, it brings up sad, sad memories like of my kids when they were little and babies. And I'm like, why don't we let that go? I don't, we don't need to keep things that bring up sad memories. Uh, when we, we want to live life facing forward, but when we do visit the past, we want them to be happy memories, reminders of, of relationships we loved and enjoyed and of happy times. We don't have to keep the things that bring up negative or unhappy memories. You have permission to let that stuff go. All right. Well, it's been, I, I really appreciate these questions. Really good questions. I'll put a link down below if you want to leave like a voice message, um, with a question that you have on there, you're, you're welcome to do so. I, you know, it's not physically possible to get to all of them, but I do try to pick out the ones that I think are kind of universal or benefit the most uh, who are listening. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to do that. All right. Well, I love you. I hope that you have a great day and I'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for joining us on the Minimal Mom podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with a friend who might find value in embracing a simplified lifestyle.